let's get started. Hello and welcome to JudgeCast. This is episode 294. I'm one of your hosts, Brian Perlman, and I am joined this evening, afternoon, morning, drive to work by the one and only Charles Feather. Hello, hello. Hi. And this episode, if we can get it out in time, well, even if we can't get it out in time, it's still going to be the same episode, but is going to be the mother of machines. No, master of machines. Mom. It's mom. It's mom. The March of the machines. Mom's March coming. Machines. Mom's coming. Is mom she going to is... bring a pie with her? Because I like pie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> More people will come if you tell them they'll be punching pie. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yes. So this is the March of the machines pre-release episode or release notes episode or faq episode you know whatever your heart desires it has been 921 days since we last had a comp uh, not a comp rules uh, an ipg update no it hasn't been that long did we but it's been we have a it's been a minute update haven't seen it yet oh it's uh, since 2021 yeah yeah we had an ipg up oh i guess for rolling dice there had to be something no, there wasn't even an update then. They just updated the MTR. Yeah, I'd have to go back and look. But this is yeah, this is been the, since 2019. This is the episode where we tell you all about the cool cards that we're going to be playing with. And and speaking of cool cards, there's there's something really 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 cool this time. It's what some, the the kitchen sink? The kitchen sink. That's in the set too. That, <laughs> there is a lot. Everything is in this set. There is a lot of Not this in a set. Good way. Uh, shh. It's okay. It's okay. It's all right. We'll, we'll be gentle. All right. Yes. All right. All right. <laughs> we're going to try and get this. We're trying. We're going to try and get this out because I probably have a magic fest this weekend. And Charles, you just got done with. Uh, did you just get about done with DreamHack? Did no, DreamHack? I, I did not do DreamHack, but I was away the previous week because I was in Alexandria, Virginia for a uh, professional conference. Uh, okay. So I spent a week learning about computers in libraries. Oh. It was exciting. Um, mostly, okay. mostly we talked about chat GPT on end, um, which, uh, is more pervasive than I think anybody really realizes at this point, or at least people who aren't in tech fields realize. So, I mean, this episode was written by chat GPT. It was at least certain portions of it. So we do have to have that disclaimer. Normally we'll throw that at the end. Maybe chat GPT will keep it fun. I don't know. We'll, we'll, we'll see how, <laughs> we'll see, we'll see how that works out. Uh, in the All right. in the meantime, uh, what we want to do first is we want to talk about battles, um, and I'm just I'm so excited for this as a limited player because something that's this new in this novel uh, is not something we get to do very often. We get to talk about a brand new card type, um, and if you have been living under a rock, I'm going to tell you about one of the current battles, and then I'm going to break down what battles really do and what they mean to the rules. So uh, battles are flip cards. They're they're modal double-faced cards, right? Um, not MDFCs. No, uh, no they're, trans- they're transforming double-faced Transforming double-faced cards. Transforming yes. double-faced cards. We have to get our lingo correct. Yes, um, they are not modal. Right. Uh, modal cards let you choose which side oh, you play. Okay, right, 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 right. So um, we're going to talk about them, and uh, we're going to do it by introducing this card first. Uh, the front face of it is Invasion of Ergamon. And if you haven't seen these yet, uh, battles are actually 
uh, printed in lands in landscape yes in landscape format um, so they're sideways when you play them uh, this has a cost of one red and one green uh, it has a battle as the type and subtype is siege and we're going to talk about siege in a minute uh, but the card reads as siege enters choose an opponent to protect it you and others can attack it when it's defeated exile it then cast it transformed it has a trigger when invasion of Ergamon enters the battlefield, create a treasure token. Then you may discard a card if you do draw a card. It has a little number in the bottom right-hand corner that looks kind of like a loyalty number, but it's not, and it's five. It's uh, in a little explosion. It, it's in a little, starburst. little, 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 uh, little like exciting. A yeah, a pow. You like that? Yeah. Um, on the flip side, it's it does not have a mana cost. And it's a creature rhino, and it's Truga Cliff Charger. Cliff Charger? Or Truga mm-hmm. Cliff Charger? I don't know. Truga. We'll have, Truga. We'll have to figure that out. Um, it has Trample, and when Truga Cliff Charger enters the battlefield, you may discard a card. If you do, search your library for a card or battle card, reveal it, put it into your hand, then shuffle. And it has a 3-4 for uh, power toughness. So battles are a new permanent type, and they're meant to represent, well, a battle. Uh, they can be attach, attacked like Planeswalkers, which is what that little five in the bottom right-hand corner of the invasion means. Mm-hmm. And all battles in this set are Sieges, which is the first battle subtype. Now, we mentioned first battle subtype, and we'll talk about it again. But essentially, there are going to be other subtypes later on. Okay? Eventually. Shh! Don't tell anybody, but that's pretty well set in stone, I think. Um Battles can begin in your deck. Uh, they're they're not like a separate deck or anything like that. Uh, they have they're the same. They're not a contraption. They're not a contraption. <laughs> they're not. They're not an attraction. Uh, they're not a shun. Okay. They're not a shun. Uh, they have I the same. T- <laughs> they have the same timing restrictions as sorceries when being cast. They enter the battlefield with the same number of defense counters as is in the lower right hand portion of the card so that that little starburst five that symbolizes defense counter so this battle would pow. come in with five yeah with five defense counters so damn power it's, it's pow it's pow calf pow no that's that's a show that's that's something else okay uh damage dealt to battles causes the number of defense counters to lower so just like loyalty counters on a planeswalker a battle is defeated when the last counter is removed so when it's defeated um that's when we go into the trigger that exiles it uh and casts it transformed right right now can you when it says when the last uh counter is removed it is defeated and defeating it is what lets you cast it can you defeat it by just destroying the permanent that question is really good, Brian. And what I'm going to say is from 310.11b, which is from the comp rules, is that we're only looking at when the defense counter is removed. So if you do something to to wrath the board, for instance, you're not actually removing the counter. You're just removing the battle. And in that case, I do not believe that it's actually going to flip and transform. Okay. Yeah, because it it says it says the only thing that's letting you exile it and cast it is when the last uh, uh, counter is removed. Now that doesn't necessarily mean that you can't use other things to target the counters 
on the battles. Right. So if you do something to just explicitly remove the counters. You know, like Hex Parasite or something right, along those right. lines. Then you have, in fact, defeated the battle and at which time it would flip. Uh, well, it would yeah. uh, exile and then be cast again. Good old Hexy. Yeah. So when the battle type siege is defeated, it triggers put on the stack. Uh, the trigger is an intrinsic ability. And it is phrased as when the last defense counter is removed from this permanent, exile it. Then you may cast it transformed without paying its mana cost. Battles can be the target of any spell or ability that says any target. Battles are not a creature, but a spell like Lightning Bolt will work against it because Lightning Bolt does have the text any target. Uh, when a battle enters the battlefield, player chooses someone to defend it. Uh, if it's a siege, an opponent is the defender. So you cast the battle... Um, you're in a multiplayer game. You can choose any of your opponents to be the defender of the battle. Um, for play purposes, as you do that, you may put the battle maybe on their side of the battlefield. I think that would probably make sense. And then you'd put the counters on it so that uh, you can track that as it goes. Um, again, the, spe the specific... Uh, I'm going to... Hmm. The specific... I can never say that word specificity specificity yes thank you, you <laughs> the specificity of the language implies that in the future there will be other subtypes um, when we look at battles through the lens of combat uh, it can be attacked by any player not designated by its protector only the designated protector can assign blockers to shield the battle from taking damage it works a lot like a planeswalker during the combat phase if during combat, it's there. Yeah, yeah. Um, if during combat an attacking creature with trample that targets a battle is blocked, lethal damage must first be dealt to the defending creatures before the remainder is dealt to the battle. So the age-old puzzle of uh, death touch and trample means that you still have to apply the one damage to the creature, and then the remaining damage could be applied to the battle. Uh, as a siege enters the battlefield, its controller chooses an opponent to be its protector. Right. Mo mm -hmm. More specifically, this isn't targeting. So the language in the in the card does not say target. So rules about interacting with target and that apply to target do not apply here. If the spell resolves, it is given to the protector chosen by the casting player without any chance for interaction at that point. Yep. So if someone has hexproof or something like that, you can still you can still give it to them. Give them. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, a siege's controller cannot be the protector. If anything happens in the game to give the siege back to its controller while it's still a siege, the controller picks up a picks a new protector as a state-based action. So we get a new state-based action with battles. Cool. If a non-battle permanent that is already on the battlefield becomes a copy of a siege, its controller chooses any opponent to be the new battle's protector. It will most likely be put in its owner's graveyard due to no defense counters, and it has nothing to flip over to. In those yeah, cases. Because there, there was no counter, last counter removed. Right, right, right. It just came in with zero counters on it and just disappears. Yep. Uh, if another permanent enters the battlefield as a copy of a battle, then the permanent enters with defense counters on it and is given a protector. If it is exiled due to having no defense counters on it, it does not return to the battlefield because it has nothing uh, on the backside. Now, that's this is going to be really important, understanding how all of this works. Okay. Uh, and I really don't want to get into it now, but hint, there's some changes to copy effects and tokens in this set. Mm. Mm. 
Uh, copied directly from release notes because I'm not sure I understand this. I read that out loud okay. because I want you All to right. know that I don't get this. Um, okay. If a permanent that is represented by a transform double-faced card becomes a copy of a siege, it will mm -hmm. be exiled as that siege's triggered ability resolves, then it will be cast transformed. Note that this applies only to transforming double-faced cards, not to modal double-faced cards that can normally be played using either face. So, Brian, what is what does that mean? Okay, so f first off, you've got to go through you've got to go through some hoops. So, uh, if I've got if I've got a permanent that uh, is represented by a transforming double-faced card, okay, and it has become a siege and has defense counters on it somehow, some way. Yes. Okay. Then when that, uh, when that siege is defeated, okay, you will then be able to cast it transformed because the card itself is a transforming double face card. So you're going to exile it, and then you're going to cast the back face of the... So if somehow you are able to turn a uh, a Delver or what's what's the what's the front face of Delver or no that is the front that face. is the so, front face yeah that is the front face so if you're somehow able to turn a Delver into a Siege and with counters with defense counters and then you defeat your Delver Siege you will then be able to cast the backside of Delver which is what Insectile Aberration or something like that. <laughs> Okay. 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 But you're only able to do that with transforming double face cards, not modal double face cards. Okay. Okay. Like that's that's the thing that's missing from the release notes is it's got to somehow get get counters on it, right? Because yeah. it it you only get to exile it and cast it from exile yeah. if it's defeated. And there are ways to do this. Like there's the I think there's an artifact that was printed a couple of sets ago that will you can move counters to and they retain their their properties and then from there you can move them back to something else or or if there's a if there's a transforming clone where the front face is a it's it's a transforming double face card and the front side just copies a permanent on the battlefield yeah that would be another example yeah yeah okay sure um if a player who is a protector for a battle leaves a multiplayer game for any reason and the battle is not currently being attacked the battle is assigned a new protector by the controller uh, if it is being attacked, once the attack is completed, you have to resolve the attack phase. Um, the battle is then assigned a new protector if it still has any counters on it. Uh, that makes sense. You don't want to just move the battle around while it's potentially taking damage because um, that would probably remove it from combat. I think you have to finish that step. Um, a battle is removed from combat if it stops being a battle or if its controller changes mid-combat. And battles cannot attack or block even if you figure out how to make it a creature if you figure it out it if you figure out how to make a creature during battle no, if you figure out how to make a creature a battle during combat it will be removed from combat y'all stop trying to break cards yeah. seriously i mean you know just stop uh but battles are really really i'm just terribly excited by this whole concept um i'm i'm a little leery of it because I don't know how well they're going to play, and we have 36 of them in this set. Um, but if they offer new and, and wonderful ways to figure out combat and, and 
challenge players and how they build decks, I think that they're going to be pretty amazing. And I would, I would also happen to think that if it's a new card type, uh, Wizards is going to lean into it for the next couple of years. So get used to seeing them, folks. I, th- I think. Right. I mean, the the concept of battles works for this particular set, but I can't imagine like plain old vanilla. Uh, you know, the next time we go to Ikoria, like they're gonna have to work battles in. I don't know. They want to keep. Like, I mean, there's conflict everywhere in the universe, right? Sure, but like a bat. I don't know. <laughs> like, like think think Kaladesh, the original Kaladesh. Right. What would you have as a battle there? Uh, that's in the olden times. I, I don't. I, I, I mean, but you get what I'm saying, I, I right? Know. Yeah, I I do, but I yeah. do also think that that Wizards does not do something without some kind of a plan, and that we're probably going to see a lot of them. Really? Yeah. yeah. Wizards doesn't do something without some kind of plan. Yeah, yeah. They got a whole mm. they got a whole marketing team up there, and and two years of development that they've got you know under wraps that uh, they okay. haven't shared with us yet. Okay, good, good, uh, without, okay, I was implicitly adding the word good in front of the word plan. Oh, oh, gotcha. well, okay, yeah. yeah. They right. do have a plan. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, keyword backup. Yeah. All right, so this is a new ability, which, while not as complex as battles, and you've got all these people that are going to try and break battles, you've also got people that are going to try and try and break backup. Um, from a rule standpoint, spoilers, you really can't. Um, so there's a card, Bola Slinger, is three and a white for a 2-2 cat soldier that says back up one whenever this creature attacks, tap target artifact or creature an opponent controls. And you go, okay, well, what's backup mean? Backup means, backup is each, each backup is followed by a number. So backup one, backup two, backup probably back up in at some point um, means when this creature enters the battlefield, put N number of plus one, plus one counters on target creature. So this is a triggered ability. When it enters the battlefield, uh, you get to put a plus one, plus one on a target creature. If that's another creature, so you can put the plus one, plus one counter on Bola Slinger, but if you put it on another creature, it gains the following ability until end of turn. And then the following ability is just the cards, the, the words on the card, okay? So in this particular case, it's when this creature attacks, tap target artifact creature and a, or tar- target artifact or creature an opponent controls, okay? <sighs> so timing is going to be important with this for players because they're not always going to want to, you know, transfer this ability to, well, yeah. Yeah. So now there's another card called Death Greeter's Champion which has backup one, but the way it's written, it's actually it actually has dash, three and a red, then backup one, then double strike, okay? So the order now matters because since dash does not follow the word backup, only double strike, when you play Death Greeter's Champion and target a creature to give it plus one, a plus one, plus one counter, it is going to gain double strike, but it is not going to gain dash, which is fine because dash really only works is an ability that works when you cast the spell. Okay. But order (laughs) matters. All right. So if a backup ability targets the creature itself, it gets the counters, but it doesn't like double up on the, uh, the, the trigger. Okay. If the backup ability 
causes another creature to gain abilities. It doesn't cause the backup creature to lose the ability. So it's not, it's not the Bola Slinger isn't giving its ability to another creature. Like, like I'm taking it from me and giving it to you. It's just saying, I have it, and now you have it until the end of turn also. Okay. It's nice of it to share like that. Yeah. All right. If a permanent enters the battlefield as a copy of a card with a backup ability or a token is created that's a copy of the card with the backup ability, okay, the order of the printed abilities is maintained. So you, you will have those, those creatures will have backups. Um, now, backup confers only abilities that are actually printed below it. So this is probably like a, a, a special formatting that the rules actually handle. Um, any abilities that are gained, uh, any abilities that are gained by the permanent are ignored, including abilities gained due to a resolving spell or ability or copy effect. So this, if, let's see here. If the creature gains an ability while on the stack, like if somehow you're able to give Arbola Slinger flying while it is on the stack, right. and it's going to, and it's in one of those exception cases that we talked about with things changing zones, and it's going to keep flying when it enters the battlefield as a creature. Right. Okay. That ability flying is not copied via the backup. Additionally, if you make a copy, if I have a Bola Slinger and I play one of those clone copies that's like, uh, you know, this enters the battlefield as a copy of any creature and it gains two blue blue return this creature to your hand. Okay, it's gaining an ability as part of the copy effect. That copy effect is not going to be part of the the backup suite of abilities. Okay, makes sense. It's, yeah, clear yeah. as mud. Yeah. All right. <laughs> The abilities granted by the backup are only determined once, and that's at the time the trigger goes on the stack. Uh, sorry, that that's at the time the ability that the ability triggers. It it's not going to change if the permanent with backup loses any of the abilities. Or so this isn't checks the words on resolution. This is the words are part of the ability that gets added to the stack when you choose your target. Right. Okay. Cool. Got it. Got it. Fun. Right? As fun as a shark with a bunch of things attached to it flying through the air can be. Yep. There you go. Yep. Yep. Oh, let so. That, let that incubate a little bit. <laughs> yeah. So we're going to talk about a new action, new keyword action incubate. And at the same time, we're also going to talk about a new mechanic, transforming tokens. <gasps> Take a deep breath, folks, because things are about to get weird. It wasn't weird enough that we had to add one new card type. We also now get to transform tokens. Yes, you heard me right. Do not adjust your sets. This is where we're at. So we're going to look at this card, and it's Chrome Host Seed Shark for two and a blue. It's a Phyrexian Shark for two. Uh, that is a power and toughness two, four. It has flying, and it has the following trigger. Whenever you cast a non-creature spell, incubate X, where X is that spell's mana value. And the reminder text is, create an incubator token with X plus one plus one counters on it and two colon transform this artifact. It transforms into a zero zero Phyrexian artifact creature. Yeah. 
It's got those counters on it, so it don't die. It does not die. It just transforms in place. It doesn't exile. It doesn't go anywhere. The, the counters are there the whole time. So uh, incubate is a new keyword that has a number next to it. Incubate N will create an incubator token that enters with N plus one plus one counters. So if N equals three, that would be three plus one plus one counters. Uh, an incubator token is a transforming double-faced token, but is it an Autobot or a Decepticon? Mm, you decide. On its front, it is a colorless artifact with two colon transform this artifact. On its back is a colorless 00 Phyrexian artifact creature. So before uh, March of the Machines, before Mom, only transforming double-faced cards could transform tokens and copies were excluded from this copies that didn't have back uh, the backs right Uh, in general copying was excluded from it these rules are being changed to allow transforming double-faced permanence permanence a keyword there Uh, this also means that copies that are made as tokens of transforming double double (laughs) faced i wrote double spaced double-faced permanents can actually transform when the conditions are met. If you create a token copy of a human from Innistrad, like Desperate Farmer, when another creature dies, it would actually transform into a depraved harvester. Neat. Um, in, in the case of copies of incubator tokens, if you transform it, uh, then it will be removed by state-based actions unless the copy also somehow has plus one, plus one counters on it. Again, like we were talking before, where it already has to have the counters on it if you're going to do something tricksy with it. Uh, Rules for a permanent becoming a copy of a transforming permanent haven't changed. In these cases, the copy can't transform as it doesn't have the other side. Makes sense, right? Right. Yeah. It it does. It It does. does. And and they say in in the rules, they say this change will only apply to tokens that are created as copies of other transforming double-face permanents. Correct. Or as copies of a transforming double-face uh, double cards in zones other than the battlefield. So what this means is um, if you are creating a copy of a transforming double-face permanent, then the resulting token is a transforming double-face permanent. If you copy, put in a copy of like a clone... Now this this is where things get a little weird... Like if I have <laughs> just a clone, now, just if, now they get weird. Yeah. 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 If I have a clone <laughs> that when I put it on the battlefield, I didn't choose anything. So it is, it is a zero zero. Maybe it's kept alive with like a Gaia's Anthem or something like that. Okay. And then I put a copy, a token into play. That's a copy of clone. Okay. Clone is not a transforming double face card. So I'm creating a token that is a copy of clone. And then I have a copy effect on top of that, which is I'm now choosing a, transforming double face card to make it a copy of okay so the question is now is that token is that token that came into play a transforming double face card or a transforming double face permanent or not because it was briefly a non-transform or a a just a regular old copy of a clone and then it became then a copy effect got layered on top of it so was it i don't think it was created as a transforming double face card I don't know. Yeah. The, we're going to have to, uh, and anytime you mess with copy at all, it does get, mm, yeah, I was, there are some very straightforward answers to, to a lot of questions. And then every once in a while you get to something and it's just, 
so far out there it's a little hard to wrap your head around and figure out exactly what the rules mean the the bottom line is is that the we want the rules to be natural and we want them to work the way that we think they should work um i think this is closer to what regular what what you know average players would expect i don't know when when i when we wrote these notes the comment was well we'll wait for the we'll wait for the cr to come out well apparently the cr came out today yeah the cr is out okay. and and we've already kind of taken a look at it once quietly behind the scenes um it'd probably be a good okay, idea to check okay here we go here we go here's a here's an answer yeah um if an effect creates a token that is a copy of a transforming permanent or a transforming double face card not on the battlefield. The resulting token is a transforming token that has both a front and a back face. The characteristics of each face, uh, the characteristics of each face are determined by the copyable values of the same face of the permanent it's a copy of, as modified by other copy effects that apply to that permanent. Wow. Um, if the token is a copy of a transforming permanent with its back face up, the token enters the battlefield. Okay, that's still not exactly clear. Characteristics of each... All right, this is this is boring, watching, watching me read the rules and noodle through this. So we will just post to Twitter what the answer is, is when we figure this out. Sounds brilliant. I like that. And All we'll right. post it... Cool. We'll, we'll, we'll post it Thursday before the show comes out. That way everybody can be just yeah, totally confused. Noises. Yep. All right. Is that is that uh, chaotic enough? I think that's it. Yeah, yeah. All right, all right. So, hey, there's new plane chase cards to go with the kitchen sink set. What? All right, yeah. So, uh, plane chase cards, and we probably uh, okay. For those that (laughs) understand how plane chase works, you know it, you love it. We don't need to explain it. But they had this ability on it that says, whenever you roll chaos, do a thing. Sure. Now. They've just replaced that rolling the the planes uh, the plane chase die and getting the chaos symbol causes chaos to ensue chaos ensues and all the cards now say whenever whenever chaos ensues because there are also cards now that can make chaos ensue without you rolling the planar die you get chaos can ensue yeah there's a cycle right. of these yep all right so there's a card called path of the pyromancer. Uh, for four and a red that says uh, it's a sorcery that says discard all the cards in your hand add red for each card discarded this way then draw that many cards plus one okay and then will of the planeswalker starting with you each player votes for planeswalker chaos if planeswalks gets more vote planeswalk that means go to the next plane in the plane chase deck if chaos gets more votes or is tied chaos ensues yeah um, okay sure yeah, so uh, this is a product note. There are five new planes and five old planes in each of the new commander decks being released with March of the Machines. So, uh, yeah, we might need to do a plane chase episode. It's only, no, we're not. We're not. Because in two weeks, we're not going to care. But but that's <laughs> just after when all of the new, you know, commander product is going to release. That people, people might... People might care a little bit, Brian. We, we maybe we have to also do a Twitter yeah. poll. Maybe maybe we have yeah, to. Yeah, but do I care a little bit? That's the real question. <laughs> like, uh... I, I I hate to admit it, but like, or I hate to say it, but this set's just got so much stuff. I just I I am having a really hard time just caring about any of it. This this and I, and I said this in the notes. This set is quite literally the culmination. Or the the apex of everything I've been hating about magic recently, and it's it's just I no no I'm no I, of, I don't believe it 
I don't believe it. You know I'm, what? You know I'm I don't believe it. it. I'm going to call you on it. You want to know why? Why? There's no stickers in the set, Brian. You know, I... Gotcha. Actually... You miss stickers? Ac- compared to this set? Yeah. Oh, my. Like... Like stickers were actually kind of because I could I felt like I could ignore like that's the big thing I could ignore stickers I was pretty sure I could ignore stickers I can't ignore this stuff stickers showed up in Legacy yeah but I don't they just, did. I can't ignore it anyway anyway all right so specific card time no right? not yet we have uh, no well actually yeah we can go ahead and skip this because it's just the commander mechanic that does the will of the planeswalkers which we just talked about. So we can yeah, we can loading. we can we can go past that one. Um, so right. we're going to delve into into card specific notes. Um, as always, we're going to cover some of the more interesting cards from the release notes. If we were to go deep on all of them, the show would be so long that Brian would teach me how to edit the show, and nobody yeah, wants that's a, and that nobody a, nobody that wants is a that. Threat. That, that that is, is a, a real thing that would happen. I I, I can yeah. I can smell it. So we're going to start oh, yes. with uh, <laughs> we're going to start with Alabaster Host Intercessor, which for five and a white is a Phyrexian Samurai. It's a three four, and when Alabaster Host Intercessor enters the battlefield, exile target creature and opponent controls until Alabaster Host Intercessor say that five times fast leaves the battlefield. Uh, it also has Planes Cycling 2. So for 2 and discard this card, you can search your library for a Planes card, reveal it, put it into your hand, then shuffle. So you can search for a, a, an, any land that has Planes in the subtype. Um, it's important to note with a card like this that this is no longer the, it does not have the O-ring problem, the Oblivion ring problem. Uh, the entered the uh, battlefield trigger here um will cause it to not exile a card if something happens during the resolution of Alabaster, right? Um, before with O-Ring, um, and O-Ring mm-hmm. uh, had the ability when it enters the battlefield, exile another target, non-land permanent, and then it had when it leaves the battlefield, return the exile target uh, card to the battlefield under its owner control. It, if... Something happened to if Oblivion Ring hit the battlefield and the trigger was on the stack, and then somebody got rid of Oblivion Ring, the card would just disappear that it was targeting. It would go into exile. It would never come out. Yeah, um, it's two. It's two separate triggers. It's two separate triggers, and it's it's neat. Um, and it's a great puzzle for commander players, and they love doing tricksy things. But in the case of Alabaster Host Intercessor, that's not the case. It's the new and improved templating. So if something happens to Alabaster Host Intercessor while the trigger is on the stack, nothing happens to the card that it's targeting. It doesn't go anywhere. Basically, the easy way to remember is if the duration would end before it started, then you just don't do it. Or if it's not Oblivion Ring. <laughs> well, I mean, it's using the Alabaster Intercessor. All right. So next up is we have Archangel Elspeth. Uh, for two white, white, it is a legendary Planeswalker Elspeth with four loyalty counters. Okay, the plus one is create a 1-1 one, one white soldier creature token with lifelink. Okay, sure. Uh, the minus two says put two plus one plus one counters on target creature. Sorry, it's a minus two. Put two plus one plus one counters on target creature. It becomes an angel in addition to its other types and gains flying. All right, so first off, um, this... A lot of times it says uh, put two counters on up to one target creature. Okay, 
uh, in this particular case, they, they do that on the plus one abilities so that you can still plus one it. In this particular case, you're not going to minus two it uh, when there's no creature. But that that ability has no duration. Okay, the target creature is going to stay an angel in addition to uh, in addition to its other types and gain flying until it leaves the battlefield. Yeah, there's no end okay. of turn. There's no end of turn there stuff. Yep. Uh, if the targeted okay, so if the targeted creature of that second ability, it says it becomes an angel in addition to its other types, stops being a creature due to any effect, spell, or ability, it's going to also stop being an angel. Kind of makes right. sense. Yeah, Imagine now, that. Where, th- where things get a little weird is if I have, like, a land that uh, I can animate and it becomes, a, it becomes a, you know, an elemental, uh, okay, in addition, in addition to its other types, because it also says it's, it's still a land, okay? Um, when it stops being a elemental, or an elemental angel in this particular case, it's going to go back to being a land. Okay, then when that land gets animated, it may or may not pick up that angel, that angel ability, that that continuous effect is still sitting out there trying to say, like, I want to make I want to make it an angel, but non-creatures can't be angels. So I'm not going to actually do it. It's just kind of waiting for it to become a creature. Then depending on the animation effect, if the animation effect says it this this becomes an elemental well, that's setting the value, and it has the later timestamp, so it's not going to be an angel. It's just going to be an elemental. If it says, becomes an elemental in addition to its other types, it's still a land, you know. Um, or be, uh, it's still a land means in addition to its other types. It's, it's rules minutiae. Then it will pick up being an angel, okay? Because it's, it's additive in that particular case, not replacing. Fun. Oh, and then it's got a minus six ability that says return all non-land permanent cards with mana value three or less from your graveyard to the battlefield. And for the minus six ability, if a card in your graveyard has X and its cost, X is zero. So uh, all them hydras might be sad boys. Very sad boys. Yep. Um, so that's cool. So along with battles, we have other double face cards in the set. Did you know that? I'm aware. <laughs> um, we have... Uh, Ayara, Widow of the Realm, for one black-black. She's a 3-3 legendary uh, elf noble. She has a couple of abilities. The first is tap, sacrifice another creature or artifact. Ayara, Widow of the Realm, deals X damage to target opponent or battle, and you gain X life, where X is the sacrificed permanence mana value. Seems pretty good in this set. Uh, For five and a red Phyrexian mana... Transform Ayara, activate only as a sorcery. And the reminder text is always with the Phyrexian mana that it can be paid with either one red or two life. The flip side is Ayara Furnace Queen, and she has transformed. Uh, She is, for color identity, a black and a red legendary creature, Phyrexian Elf Noble. That's a 4-4. Has the following ability. At the beginning of combat on your turn, return up to one target artifact or creature card from the graveyard to the battlefield. It gains haste. Exile it at the beginning of the next end step. So, on the front face, the first ability of Ayara, Widow of the Realm, only looks at the mana value of the permanent being sacrificed as it existed on the battlefield. It notably does not look at the mana value of the permanent in the graveyard. Um... So if it's a, 
uh, double-faced card and it's on the flip side um, I think that's what we're talking about here uh, as, as something having a, a zero cost on it um, and also a reminder the mana value of a transforming double face permanent is calculated as though it had the mana value of the front face oh so no I don't know why are we talking about what? it that way I'm trying to figure out what my notes mean you're going to read them briefly and look at them and then yeah, say, it's, yeah, it's calculated as the front. Okay. So if something's right. asking about our Aria furnace queen, like what its mana value is, you look at the front face, it's three. Right. So, all right. So the first one says, uh, it only looks at the mana value of the permanent being sacrificed as it existed on the battlefield. It notably does not look at the mana value of the permanent in the graveyard. Uh, right. So like copy effect or something like that. Ah, right. that's what we're talking about there. Got yeah. it. Got it. Okay. Yep. Brian came back and saved the day. You all right, Brian? Yeah. No, I was just... All right. Um, <laughs> so the next up is Brawl and Kari Zev. Right. All right. Just, you know, I, I realize that people are wanting, like, ta- team-ups and stuff like that. This is really just commander partners where Watsi is deciding what your partner is. Anywho, Brawl and Kari Zev. One blue-red <laughs> is a legendary creature human 2-4, first strike menace. Whenever you cast your first instant or sorcery spell each turn, you may cast a spell with lesser mana value that shares a card type with it from your hand without paying its mana cost. Period. If you don't, create First Mate Ragavan, a legendary 2-1 red monkey pirate creature token. It gains haste until end of turn. All right. So Brawl and Kari Zev, they know the difference between first instant sorcery cast each turn and first instant sorcery you cast since Baral and Kari Zev were on the battlefield. They smart, yo. Don't try and fool them, okay? If you cast your first instant or sorcery, then cast Baral uh, and Kari Zev, and then try to cast another one, you can't argue that this is this is the first one, this is the first spell they see, okay? It, they're able to look back across the entire turn. Um, casting the spell uh, with this trigger lets you ignore the timing restrictions on the card that you're casting, Okay, and you can cast the back face of a modal double face card if it meets the criteria. Okay, uh, for casting. So, well, yep. All right. So I don't understand all the lore that's happening with this, but there's a lot of stuff that's like in conflict, right? Different planes and everything. That's where we're getting, you know, Burrell and Carrie Zev showing up here and and other stuff, right? Yeah. It's just, it's just they're like, oh, here's two people that might never work together, so we'll just put them on a card and look, see. It's the team-up nobody wanted. Yeah, but there are some team-ups that people wanted. I mean, we're going to get to I at mean, least one or two of them, I'm sure. Sure. <laughs> you don't I play don't like You don't play set. partner and commander, do you? No, I don't like this set. I don't like this set at all. And it's showing. And I should be more positive. But continue. Well, that's what I'm here for. And I'm going to yeah. talk about Bloodfeather Phoenix. Sure. For one in a red, it's a phoenix. You don't have to be t- totally enthusiastic right off the bat. Let me, let me, let me sell you on it, okay? <laughs> it's a 2-2 and uh it has flying blood feather phoenix can't block well that's a, a red thing sure uh and it has the following trigger whenever an instant or sorcery spell you control deals damage to an opponent or battle you may pay one red if you do return blood feather phoenix from your graveyard to the battlefield it gains haste until end of turn cool um Phoenix-like traits being reborn from the graveyard. Uh, the last ability triggers only if Bloodfeather Phoenix is in the graveyard 
at the moment the instant or sorcery is cast. Uh, can't end up in the graveyard afterwards and then be uh, and then be selected. You may choose to or you can choose to pay R when the ability is resolving. Okay. Um, most instants or sorceries deal damage themselves, but a few do cause other sources to deal damage. Redirection instants and sorceries like harm's way or spells that make creatures fight aren't dealing damage to an opponent. Okay. Right. And and I want to be clear about uh, harm's harm's way is a bit different um, than a pure redirection. It is basically uh, harm's way is the next two damage that a source uh, a source um, uh, the next two damage that a source of your choice would deal to you or another permanent you control is uh, this turn is dealt to any target instead. So harm's way in that particular case isn't doing the damage it is just changing where these the other thing is the other thing is doing the damage and harm's way is just changing where it's going right okay there's another card i think deflecting palm oh that card that card cost yeah, that, that card cost me a partner in in um two-headed giant i'll have you know yeah so okay <laughs> there's so a there's deflecting a story palm there. is a, Deflecting Palm is a bit different in the sense that it prevents the damage and then Deflecting Palm deals that much damage to something else. So instead of a redirection, it's a prevention plus Deflecting Palm dealing the damage. In that particular case, that would be an instant or sorcery spell you control dealing damage to an opponent. Yeah, sounds good. All right. I'm going so to I'm going to I'm going to steal it. I'm going to steal it because okay. because All you right. know, it's go a it's it. a team up, you know, and and I don't I don't sure, I don't know how you it. feel about team ups right now. So uh, Bori Bigmos and Fithelpit. Uh for two green, blue, and a red. Uh, we have a legendary creature, Cyclops Homunculus. It's a six-five. Whenever Bori Bigmos and Fithelpit enters the battlefield or attacks, draw a card. Then you may discard any number of land cards. When you discard one or more cards this way, Bori Bigmos and Fithelpit deals twice that much damage to target creature. Uh, for one and a blue, and activate ability, put Bori Bigmos and Fithelpit into its owner's library third from the top. Um, this is a reflexive trigger, and we talked about that a few episodes ago, and how I had a moment of self-discovery. But when you look at it and you read it, um, it has a second um, trigger that happens in there. Uh, and only the second part of the trigger has a target. So the first part does not target, the second part does. You can't discard non-land cards to this effect. Okay, only land cards. Uh, the last ability only works on the battlefield. If there are one or fewer cards in your library, Bori Bigmos and Flithelpip is put on the bottom of your library. That's cool. Um, this team-up is the one that you didn't know you needed. The one that brings depth perception. Because yeah, they're both Cyclopses. Yes. Yeah. Although <laughs> looking at looking at the picture, looking at the picture, uh Fibblethip is riding on top of Borborigmos's head. Yes. So, so they're they're, they're not, not lined up correctly, so we're going they to have are not giving death perception. We're, we're going to have some issues there. <laughs> but right. but Borborig uh, uh, Borborigmos seems to uh be handling himself quite well at the moment. So we'll we'll, I mean, we'll that, go with it's that working out. <laughs> All right. 
so the next card is that we're going to talk about is Breach the Multiverse. It is five black black for a sorcery. Each player mills ten cards. For each player, choose a creature or planeswalker card in that player's graveyard. Put those cards onto the battlefield under your control. Then each creature you control becomes a Phyrexian in addition to its other types. Okay. Uh, first off, creatures you control will be Phyrexian. The, the creatures that were on the battlefield at that particular moment in time will become Phyrexians until they leave the battlefield. Okay. Now, like I was also saying before, if a creature is an animated something else, an animated enchantment, an animated land, whatever, when that animation effect ends, it's going to stop being a creature. It's also going to stop being a Phyrexian. If it becomes a creature again, it may or may not resume being a Phyrexian based on the specific wording of the animation effect, which is probably a more succinct way of saying what I was trying to say earlier, but I went off script, and so I fumble-stumbled around a little bit. But yes, so that's that's all I got to say about Breach the Multiverse. Cool, which means you left me the fun card. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> this card's brilliant. City on Fire for five, a red, a red, a red. So for eight mana, it's an enchantment. With Convoke, your creatures can help you cast the spell. Each creature you tap while casting a spell pays for one mana of that of that creature's color. Uh, for one or one mana of that creature's color, right? Uh, if a source you control would deal damage to a permanent or player, it deals triple that damage instead. <laughs> I love this card. Okay. Let's talk about how this works with creatures with trample, because that's important. Uh, if Abe controls a city on fire and attacks with a 5-5 trampler and Ned blocks with a 3-3, how much damage is Ned taking? This feels like basic algebra in sixth grade. I'm, 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 getting, mm -hmm. I'm getting chills up my spine. So what happens is, is uh, Abe's 5-5 uh, deals three damage to Ned's blocker, and then two damage goes over. Now, the effect on City of Fire says that if a source you control would deal damage to a permanent player, it deals triple that damage instead. So what we're going to do is we're multiplying the two damage that goes over by three, and it'll be doing six damage. Uh, if an effect asks you to divide damage among targets, you must divide the unmodified damage before tripling it. Mm -hmm. and so if something says, like, do, do three damage divided any way you choose amongst up to three targets. Yeah. You have to divide it first. And then, yep. and then after you've divided it, you can triple the damage. Mm -hmm. uh, and then finally, if you are an arsonist and you have two cities on fire, I don't know why you'd stop at two, but okay, the damage will be multiplied by nine. Uh, if you have three, the damage is multiplied by 27. And so on. It is brilliant. I love the spell. I'm going to have multiple copies and I'll be cramming them into every deck I possibly can. Lots of fun. Yeah. All right. Um, next up, we have the Corruption of Tawashi. Tawashi uh, is for four and a blue. It's an enchantment. When Corruption of Tawashi enters the battlefield, incubate four. Oof. And then when... Yep. So you're going to get one of those little uh, artifacts with four plus one plus one counters on it, and it can make it your transforming token. Um, okay. So only, it says, uh, whenever a permanent you control transforms or a permanent enters the battlefield under your control transformed, you may draw a card. Do this only once per turn. Okay, so only a transforming double-faced permanent can enter the battlefield transformed. 
and only if it enters with its back face up. Melds can't enter transformed. Modal double face cards can't ever transform, uh, even if the back face enters the battlefield of your modal double face card. Morphing and unmorphing doesn't count either. Okay, uh, so that's enters the battlefield transformed. Now, when it says whenever a permanent you control transforms, that can be in either dura- either direction. You know, so werewolves are going to flip back and forth across the the entire duration of the game. Okay. Now, an interesting thing about uh, this trigger that says do this only once once a turn. If you have already drawn a card from that ability, okay, so the ability has already gone on the stack, it's already resolved, and then something transforms, this ability does not trigger, okay? Hmm. I'll read the ability one more time. So whenever a permanent you control transforms or a permanent enters the battlefield under your control transformed, you may draw a card, do this only once per turn. So if you've already drawn the card and then something transforms or enters the battlefield transformed, the trigger does not go on the stack. Okay, now if you have lots of permanents that transform at once, so I'm going to have this trigger, trigger, trigger. Let's say I've got five instances of this trigger all lined up. And whatever, the first one I go, no, nah, I don't want to draw a card. Then the next one's going to go to resolve. No, nah, I don't want to draw a card. Okay, the third one, I go, yeah, now I want to draw a card. Because that makes the a second, difference. Right. <laughs> the, the, once that, right. Because, again, <laughs> this is not saying it's a smart thing to do. Okay. Um, once you draw a card, the other triggers aren't going to do anything. Look, They're just going to resolve and pass. Look, we all and play with like, that. We all play with that one player who's going to do this. And and realistically, this wording <laughs> is set up there for arena. Right. Right. Yeah. So you might have like ten. It, it's it's things won't trigger and not do anything. Or if you have multiple triggers, you execute the first one and then the other the other four just go poof. So yep, there you go. All right. Cool. I'm just going to cut you short on, on that. Is that all right? We're just going right, to move enough. on. All right. So, yep. Uh, cut short for two and a white uh, is an instant. It has convoke. I'm not going to read the reminder text on that. We know what it does now. Uh, destroy target planeswalker that was activated this turn or tapped creature. So, quick note on this uh, if a planeswalker was granted an emblem at some point and the emblem has an activated ability, if you activate that ability, it's not the same thing as the Planeswalker activating an ability. So for the purposes of this card, um, you don't just march it right out as soon as your opponent sits there and activates that emblem. That's not what Emblems we're talking about. Things. It's a completely separate thing. You have to wait until they plus one their Garuk, okay? Uh, a Planeswalker being activated means uh, if any of its activated abilities were used this turn. If you do a wacky stuff, uh, that ability might not even be a Planeswalker ability. The ability does not have to have resolved. It could still be on the stack, or it could have been countered earlier in the turn. It just has to have been attempted. And we're going to actually get to a lot of things where things need to be attempted on, on other cards in this set. So that's important to remember. All right. So Doomscar Warrior, this this one made it in because I spent entirely way too much time uh, uh, trying to parse this card, process it, because I was stupid about something. So y'all get to share in my embarrassment a little bit. Doomscar Warriors, two green green for a 4-3 uh, human warrior with backup one, and then it has two abilities under its backup that has trample, 
And whenever this creature deals combat damage to a player or battle, look at that many cards from the top of your library. You may reveal a creature or land card from among them and put the rest in your hand. No, put the rest on the bottom. No, you may reveal... Oh, sorry, put it... Great. You're right. I, 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 read, I read wrong. Uh, you may reveal a creature or land card from among them and put it into your hand. Put the rest on the bottom of your library in a random order. When reading the card, card almost took, card almost got way better there for a second. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I took I took I took the two lines and just mushed them together. Um, yeah. So there's a there's a thing in the in the release notes that says in some unusual situations, mostly involving damage redirection, Doomscar Warrior may deal combat damage to multiple players and or battles at the same time. If this happens its ability will trigger for each one of those players and or battles. Each ability will resolve separately, allowing you to look at the number of cards. So basically, I was just sitting here going, well, why are they calling that out? Because the creatures got trampled. So if I hit a battle with with two battle counters, and this is a 4-3 with trample, then it's just going to trample over to the player. And so both are going to happen. And I was just sitting here trying to figure out, like, why is this release note? Why, why, why? And then it was like, oh, wait. It's because you're not trampling over the battle onto the player. It's you're trampling over the creature to deal damage to the battle. Okay. So this thing right here took me like a good four minutes of just reading and rereading. Like, why is the release notes talking about this? And then, yeah, so this is going to be just, it's going to take, battles are going to take a little bit of time for people to get used to. Um, So, anywho. Yep. That was a problem that I had. So there's really no nothing that we can talk about from a rule standpoint other than just I'm dumb sometimes. No, no, no. I mean, reading the card explains the card is an oversimplification of a very complicated process. You know, it does take us time to parse, especially new cards when uh. we're first experiencing them. So, no. Um, so Elspeth Smite uh, is a one white for an instant. And Elspeth Smite deals three damage to target attacking or blocking creature. If that creature would die this turn, exile it instead. So the important thing to remember here is it's really doing two things, okay? It's dealing the three damage uh, to the attacking or blocking creature, and then it's setting up a condition that if the creature would die this turn, um, it's going to get exiled. So you can do three damage to the creature, um, and maybe it's still wobbling around uh, with one or two remaining um, health on it, and you do something else like lightning bolt it. Uh, if you do that, the creature will still be exiled um, because the second thing that it sets up there is if it would die this turn, we exile it. Yeah. So what what you would do this in like a commander game or something like that? If 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 I'm attacking uh, Charles with a big ten ten and Charles chump blocks with an eight eight, okay? Because you know you chump block with your eight eights, and we're also playing with Sama, and Sama just uh, hits either one of the creatures with Elspeth's smite. Okay. Whether it's my creature or Charles creatures, one of us, one of our creatures is taking three damage and then it's going to, it's going to try to die in combat and then it's going to get exiled instead. Yeah. So uh, you can use it as a removal, you know, just a three damage uh, a lightning bolt type effect, or you could also use it to snipe an opponent's creature that was going to stick around. All right. Next up is elvish vat keeper what's for one black and a green what's it keeping what? in the vat uh, it's just it just keeps vats it's like a it's like a uh 
someone who plays Skyrim who just collects goblets off of whatever random chests they find and then just stores them in their house. Got it. Okay. It's just a bunch of vats. Just a bunch of vats. Um, all right, all right. Just a bunch of vats. <laughs> um, Elvish Vat Keeper, 3-3 Phyrexian Elf. When Elvish Vat Keeper enters the battlefield, incubate two. Okay. And then for five mana, you can transform target incubator token you control. Double the number of plus one, plus one counters on it. Really, all we're saying here is the artifact token transforms and then it has the counters doubled. Okay. Which makes a difference because if, if anything that cares about counters being placed on a permanent, we'll see them, uh, we'll see them on a Phyrexian artifact creature. So if something cares about doubling plus one, plus one counters or, or whenever counters are placed on, um, a creature you control. Okay, it's going to see it as a creature as opposed to like an artifact or something. Cool. Okay. Even though it's still an artifact. Yeah. All right. I, I seem to have stumbled upon another uh, team up. Yeah. We have them all. We we have we have many. We we do have many. Uh, we have Galta and Maverin. Is it Maverin? I think so. Sure. Sure. Uh, for three green green white white, it is a dinosaur. It is a twelve twelve dinosaur vampire with trample. And the following really neat trigger. Uh, whenever you attack, choose one. And it's got two options. The first option is create a tapped and attacking XX green dinosaur token with trample, where X is the greatest power among other attacking creatures. Or you can create X11 white vampire creature tokens with lifelink, where X is the number of other attacking creatures. Wow. That's... um. That's something. Pretty uh, big. Removal is going to be important in this set, I can see. Okay. Um, so the important notes about this. Uh, X is determined as the ability resolves. Okay. Uh, if you choose the first mode and no creatures are attacking, you make an 0-0 dinosaur token. So it probably just dies right then and there uh, when you do state-based actions. Uh, if you chose the second mode, and no creatures are attacking, you don't make any vampire tokens. They just don't come into existence. Sad day. No life linkers. Uh, the token is put onto the battlefield attacking, but it never actually attacked. Uh, that's an important um, distinction when we look at the vocabulary of the game and how rules work. Um, it's never declared an actual attacker if something's looking for that. Dino tokens don't have to attack the same player and or planeswalkers as the other creatures. I would assume that's also the case with the white vampire creature tokens. What's that? Yeah, it's also the same with the white. So dino tokens or the vampire tokens don't have to attack the same player uh, as other creatures. No. Uh, you can, if you have a multiplayer game and you're into attacking one person, you can you know, spread the wealth around and let everybody uh, reap well, the benefits. Well, the, vamp the vampire tokens aren't attacking. They're just created. Oh. Yep, that makes sense. Okay. So the dino tokens are the only ones we're concerned about there. And they, mm -hmm. they don't have to attack the same player. Or Planeswalker, Correct. right? You can yep. redirect them. All right. Awesome. All right. So next up, the card has generated a little bit of comments online. We're going to talk about this. It's called Halo Forger. It's one blue-black for a 3-1 fairy rogue with flying. When Halo Forger enters the battlefield, you may pay X. When you do, you may cast target instant or sorcery 
card with mana value X from a graveyard without paying its mana cost. If the spell would be put into a graveyard, exile it instead. So there's currently um, uh, an open question regarding if it's intended to let you pay zero to cast one of those uh, uh, suspend spells with no mana value, okay? Because the release notes say the reflexive trigger only triggers if you pay mana, all right? So, however, I think that's just... Um, you know, someone not anticipating how this is going to work. Um, however, again, where we mentioned that they code these things a lot of times to uh, work with um, Arena, realistically, because you can always pay zero. Yeah. Okay. So, eh, eh? How is this going to work in a, in Arena? Like, like, do the rules and the coding for Arena not, not work? Because... As rules are written, it, it should allow you to, to pay zero and get one of those suspend cards. Wow. Yeah, that's rules, that's the way it makes sense to me. So, I, yeah, I don't know. Rule, we'll rules as written, uh, rules as coded, I don't know. Okay. It definitely implies something in the release notes, so they might not have actually thought, you know, hey, someone could pay zero. Um, so, you are deciding to cast the spell. Uh, you are targeting an instant or sorcery. That's part of the reflexive trigger. Okay, so when Halo Forger enters the battlefield, you may pay X. If you decide not to pay X, then the reflexive trigger doesn't happen. But it's kind of weird because you we have a, we have a tournament shortcut that always that says you're assumed to always pay costs of zero, right? So we have a tournament shortcut that says when you're presented with the ability to pay zero, you paid zero. Wow. Okay, but if you don't pay then the second the the reflexive trigger part doesn't happen if you do pay then it does and then you get to target the instant or sorcery um since you are casting without paying any mana costs you can't pay any alternative costs but you can pay additional costs all right what up well well we have another double-faced card and we love double-faced cards around here uh, so the front face of this card is Heliod, the Radiant Dawn for two white, white. It is a four, four legendary enchantment creature God. Well, we've got gods here now. Uh, it has on the front two abilities. Uh, when Heliod, the Radiant Dawn enters the battlefield, return target enchantment card that isn't a God from your graveyard to your hand. And it has three and a blue Phyrexian mana for Transform Heliod, the Radiant, the Radiant Dawn, activate only as a sorcery. Uh, the flip side of Heliod is Heliod, the Warped Eclipse. And instead of uh, just being white, it's now white-blue. Legendary enchantment creature, Phyrexian God. Jesus, if a god wasn't scary enough, we had to Phyrexianize him? Um, I mean, really. Uh, you may cast spells as though they had flash. Spells you cast cost one less to cast for each card your opponent your opponents have drawn this turn, and it's a four six. At least it doesn't say indestructible on that side. I mean, I mean, we got the, the little things we have to be thankful for, right? Mm, fair. Okay. So, uh, as though they had flash, uh, that phrase does not mean you can activate abilities at instant speed when they say they can be activated only as a sorcery important timing restriction there yeah 
oh, I can cast my sorceries at any time now. No. So any ability that says I can activate as a sorcery, well, I should be able to do that at any time now, right? Yeah. Burp, burp, no. burp, burp, burp. No. Timing restrictions do matter. Uh, the cost reduction only affects the colorless mana payments. Increases from additional costs or cost increases are calculated before the reductions, right? We we add, subtract, then 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 three ball, right? Um, yep. Yeah. Uh, this cost reduction can apply to alternative costs, such as flashback, and it can apply to X spells. So spells with X in the casting cost, it can apply to that. Neato. All right. Next up is Ickershade, or Ikershade. For two and a black, it is a 2-3 Phyrexian Shade. It says, at the beginning of your end step, comma, if a artifact or creature was put into a graveyard from the battlefield this turn, comma, Put a plus one plus one counter on Ickershade. Period. So it's period. So it is our first intervening if clause card of the release notes. Yes. So this trigger, in order for this trigger to go on the stack, folks you must have folks, ladies and gentlemen, and, and planeswalkers of all ages at home. Um, he makes up those noises all by himself. He doesn't have a little soundboard thing, and it's really kind of oh, no, it's really no. kind of cute. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, Judge Cast proudly brings to you the Ickershade noise. Bow, bow, bow. <laughs> anyway, um, a creature or artifact had to have been put into the graveyard from the battlefield already this turn in order for the trigger to go on the stack. Now, intervening if clauses, they have to be true both for the trigger to go on the stack and they have to still be true when the trigger goes to resolve now in this particular case it can't not be true when the trigger goes on the stack and then not be true when it goes to resolve it can't not yeah i said that right okay because once it's this is kind of a boolean like once it becomes true it stays true for the rest of the turn but you can't wait for this trigger to go on the stack and then sacrifice a creature because to, to another effect because the trigger wouldn't go on the stack at that particular point. You got to do it before we get to the end step. Right. All right. So um, just a reminder that tokens, token artifacts, food tokens, uh, incubator tokens, whatever, they still go to the graveyard before they go poof. So if you sacrifice a food, that token still goes to the graveyard. Okay. And this ability looks at the artifact or creature as it existed when it was on the battlefield, when it was put into the graveyard not what it looked like after it landed in the graveyard that's relevant for animation and clone effects so if i have a land um that becomes a creature and then it gets killed and put into the graveyard it was a creature on the battlefield even though it's just a plain old land in the graveyard all right next so i think i mentioned before at the top of the show but there are 36 invasions in the set that's that's a lot of invasions. Um, I mentioned three that. Invasions. I mentioned that because we're only going to cover three of them here. Um, they're all named the same. They have the same naming convention. They all start with invasion of, and then I believe in most cases it's a plane or a, or a geographical location on a plane. Um, so the one that I'm going to start off with is invasion of Alara. And as you might guess, because it's a Lara, uh, the casting cost is white, blue, black, red, green. Shock face, right? Mm -hmm. It is a battle siege for seven defense. Is that how we're going to say it? Seven defense. Um, 
When Invasion of Alara enters the battlefield, exile cards from the top of your library until you exile two non-land cards with mana value four or less. You may cast one of those two cards without paying its mana cost, put one of them into your hand, then put the other cards exiled this way on the bottom of your library in a random order. So if uh, somebody battles the siege and flips it over, it becomes Awaken the Maelstrom, which is a sorcery. Awaken the Maelstrom is all colors. I guess they can't fit the color pie in the in the uh, little uh, bar there. Target player draws two cards. You may put an artifact card from your hand onto the battlefield. Create a token that's a copy of the permanent you control. Distribute three plus one plus one counters among one, two, or three creatures you control. Notice it's not saying target in there. And destroy target permanent and opponent controls. Wow. It just kind of does all the things, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, so for the first triggered ability, uh, and you found two non-land cards, if you don't cast one of the cards, the other one is put into your hand, then, then the uncast card is part of the other cards exiled this way, and is put on the bottom of your library with the others. Uh, if you only exile one non-land card with a mana value of four or less, you can cast that. If you don't, you'll put it in your hand. Um, so you have that choice. If for some reason it's uncastable at the time, you know, it just goes to your hand. Um, Awaken the Maelstrom has two targets. So the flip side has two targets. Target player. And you said a lot of words. There's an awful lot of words in there for only two targets. Yeah, I know, right? But I did point mm-hmm. out the one one space where it doesn't say target, where you would kind of expect it to say target. So um, it has two targets. It has a target player and a target permanent and opponent controls. All of their choices are made on resolution, like those pesky little counters. Uh, And the the token that you're creating a copy of and the artifact uh, uh, from your hand, putting your hand on the battlefield, all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, So because it's, you know, five colors, it's got to do five different effects all in one spell. You know, it's got to be complicated. It's a complex little thing it is. Um, the token copies exactly what was printed on the original permanent and nothing else, unless that permanent is copying something else or is a token C below. I'm not sure if we're going to get to C below. Um, it doesn't copy whether that permanent is tapped or untapped, whether it has any counters on it or ores, any equipment attached to it, or any non-copy effects that have changed its power, toughness, type, color, and so on. Okay. Really neat effect. Um, I wonder if it's seven defense, if it's, if it's worth the effect, I, I would think it is because it's doing so many things. Um, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm kind of excited to see it in play. And, um, what you can do is like, there's a little bit of politicking in here because it says target player draws two cards. So, and then destroy target permanent opponent control. So in like commander, you can do a little bit of politicking and say like, Hey, I'll give you I'll give you the two cards and I'll take everything else. I'll give you the two cards. If you could just finish off the invasion of Alara. Right. Right. Okay. So yeah. Uh, invasion of Kaldheim is the next card. It's for three and a red, uh, battle siege with four Kapows. Um, <laughs> when invasion of Kaldheim enters the battlefield, exile all cards from your hand, then draw that many cards until the end of turn. You may play cards exiled this way. You essentially double the cards in your double the cards in your hand, essentially for for the turn. Um, then once you've uh, finished off its four kapows, 
Uh, it flips over and you get to recast it as an enchantment called Pyre of the World Tree. It's a red enchantment. Discard a land that has an activated ability to discard a land. Pyre of the World Tree deals two damage to any target. And then whenever you discard a land card, exile the top card of your library, you may play that card this turn. So both sides have you exiling cards and allowing you to cast them for a duration of this. Uh, in the Pyre of the World Tree, it says you may play that card this turn. In Invasion of Kaldheim, it says you may play uh, until the end of your next turn. So the duration is different, okay? And the permission that's granted is going to persist even though if even if the permanent no longer is on the battlefield, okay? Um, any cards that you don't cast are going to stay exiled, okay? You still have to follow the normal timing rules and restrictions for playing the exiled cards, okay? So it doesn't let you cast instance uh, or sorceries at instant speed. And then the la- the last ability of Pyre of the World Tree, because uh, it says whenever you discard a land card, that's whenever you discard a, uh, a land card for any reason. It doesn't have to be tied to the first activated ability of Pyre of the World Tree. I like it. Neat card. Um, we're going to move right into Invasion of Segovia. Where's Segovia? Is that a plane or uh, is that... Do, do you know the story of Segovia? No. Okay. Take a moment to look up the card, go to uh, Scryfall or whatever, and look up the card Segovian Leviathan, okay? Because I'm, I'm about to give you a treat. I'm excited already. Yep. Scryfall, okay. Scryfall, Scryfall. Segovian Leviathan. Wow, that's an old card, right? Six, yeah, sixth it, edition? Uh, Legends. Legends. So it's a yep. four right. blue and has island walk. This creature's unblockable and it's a three, three. So it's, you know, yep. okay. Oh. Now you look at that art and you see in the foreground, there is a humpback whale. Holy. Okay. Okay. So it's not a so, three, three. So, it's a 2020 20 is what you're telling me. Well, holy mackerel. here's where we get to the, here's where we get to the jokes. Uh, the plane of Segovia is a plane where they they changed this so that everything's just really small. So that Leviathan, that giant massive Leviathan on the plane of Segovia, could be a twenty twenty, a thirty thirty. It could eat Merit Lage, okay. But when it goes anywhere else, it's just a three three. It's a large cat, which is why on the invasion of Segovia art, those are massive giant sea serpent looking things biting the ankle in the art and why you are creating one one blue kraken creature tokens with trample wow 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 yeah that's that's the gimmick of the plane is is just everything's really small there and and it had bible verse on the bottom of it it does it, it does. does back when they did when they did such a thing yeah okay real world they don't really do real world quotes on cards anymore so now i know where segovia is very cool Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a battle siege for two and a blue, and it has uh, four kapals. Is it kapals? Four pals? Yeah. Four kapals? Sure. Okay. Four kapals. Four kapals. Uh, when invasion of Segovia enters the battlefield, you create two 1-1 one, one blue kraken creature tokens with trample. Two 1-1 one, one blue kraken to- creature tokens? Yeah. That's kind of small for a kraken. That's like baby kraken. Well, because it's Segovia. Okay. Yeah. No, makes sense. Makes sense. Okay, yeah. so uh, the flip side is Cadus Sea Tyrant of Segovia. It's a blue legendary creature serpent. That's a 3-3. Non-creature spells you cast have Convoke. At the beginning of your end step, untap up to four target creatures. Oh. 
Oh, all right. Let's see what's going on there. Uh, if you have to sacrifice Cadus for some reason while casting a spell, like if you are sacrificing it for a mana ability to pay for a spell, then when it comes into play, the costs of the non-creature spell won't have Convoke. That makes sense. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. Next up, uh, we're going to talk about Jingataxius. Uh, now, there is a cycle of Praetors in this set that are transforming, um, that are, uh, transforming double face cards that transform into sagas. Woot woot. So we have Jen Gataxias for three blue blue legendary creature human praetor. It's a five five with ward two. Whenever you cast a non-creature spell with mana value three or greater, draw a card. And then pay three in a blue, exile Jen Gataxias, and then return to the battlefield transformed under its owner's control. Activate as a sorcery and only if you have seven or more cards in your hand. Alright. Um then it when it Exiles and enters the battlefield transformed into the Great Synthesis. It's a saga with three chapter abilities. Chapter one, draw a card equal to the number of cards in your hand. You have no maximum hand size for as long as you control the Great Synthesis. Chapter two is return all non-Phyrexian creatures to their owner's hand. Chapter three, you may cast any number of spells from your hand without paying their mana cost. Exile Great Synthesis, then return it to the battlefield. Front face up. All right. So the reason why these cards exile um, is so that is a, is a few few reasons. One, they get to refresh any any of the continuous effects or weird counters. Like with the incubator artifact, you got the plus one plus one counters on it, and it transforms like underneath the counters. The counters stay on it. Okay, but in the case of Jin Gataxius, there could be like all sorts of weird. There could be like auras and. Uh, continuous effects and stuff like that that play. And so we, we exile it to kind of clear all that stuff off. Also, by by exiling and then re-entering the battlefield as the Great Synthesis, you're going to get a chapter ability. So essentially, it's pay th- pay four mana to exile Jin Gataxius and then draw cards equal to the number of cards in your hand, which, as we established, is activate only as a sorcery and only if you have seven or more cards in your hand. So you're going to get at least seven cards probably and then have no maximum hand size so that's that's pretty pretty good um once you activate Jin's ability though it doesn't actually matter how many cards are in your hand when it goes to resolve so if you needed to activate the ability and then like cast dark rituals or something like that out of your hand to to help pay for the cost okay sure fine you only had to have seven or more cards in your hand to activate the ability not when it resolves um if you lose control of the Great Synthesis while its Chapter 1 ability is resolving, your max hand size doesn't change. Remember we said if if an effect has a duration and it ends before it would have begun, it doesn't actually change? Same thing with hand size. Okay. And then for the Chapter 3 ability of Great Synthesis, which is you may cast any number of spells from your hand without paying their, their mana caused exile, the Great Synthesis, and return to the battlefield, you choose to cast the spells while the ability is resolving. Okay, they're on the stack. Okay, so they go on the stack. Now Great Synthesis is exiled and Gitaxius returns now. And then now we resolve the spells, which now that Gitaxius is back, it's got uh, whenever you cast a non-creature spell with mana value three or greater, draw a card. This card's stupid. Okay. Well, well, hold on, hold on, because you already you already cast the spells, so that's that's why I'm pointing that out. You don't actually get. Uh, no, you just you don't you just get the never-ending saga. You, you do, if, but if, I, I guess oh what God. I'm pointing out is you don't. 
even though you're casting those spells without paying the mana cost and Jinnigataxius comes back, Jinnigataxius comes back after we've cast the spells, but before we resolve them. So you don't get to see the whenever you cast a non-creature spell with mana value three or greater draw a card. That's not going to happen uh, from chapter three of Great Synthesis. This okay. this is every red player's nightmare. Oh yeah, it's terrible. And then like all your little all your little creatures, all your non Phyrexian creatures got returned to their owner's hands. So you're boned. Okay. And even if you the blue the blue player, um, you know when it's when it gets to chapter three, yeah, you just returned a bunch of creatures to your hands, and then you may cast any number of spells from your hand without paying its mana cost. You just bobbing a ball back onto the board, along with you know Jin Cataxius. Oh yeah, comes back just casual because yeah. you know just can't get rid of him yeah. it's like a bad penny keeps turning up yeah wow yeah. yeah for five mana this would have been this would have been a nine mana card back in the day oh yeah anywho we're only decays we gotta we gotta pick up we gotta pick up the pace all right well i think we some of these are gonna be a little pace. faster too because we're we're done all with right. invasion so knight errant of eos uh it is a four and a white it is a creature human knight four four with convoke and when Knight Errant of Eos enters the battlefield, look at the top six cards of your library. You may reveal up to two creature cards with mana value X or less from among them, where X is the number of creatures that convoke, convoked Knight Errant of Eos. Put the revealed cards into your hand, then shuffle. Um, for Convoke, and, and this is a, a rule of thumb for all of Convoke, you can't overtap. You can't uh, tap more creatures than the actual cost of casting the spell. Um, it's not like crewing a vehicle where you can just, you know, crew to your heart's content. Uh, Convoke has a has a real definition and, a, and an actual limit. Yeah. All right. Next up is Mirror Shield Hoplite. All right. So this is a red and a white for a 2-2 human soldier with vigilance. Whenever a creature you control becomes the target of a backup ability copy that ability you may choose new targets for that copy this ability triggers only once per turn all right so the source of the copy is the same as the source of the original backup ability all right mm -hmm. if the original creature with backup is chosen as the target for the copy of the backup ability it will get the counters but not the additional backup text so they've they've worked it so that you can't on the backup creature like you know it, you you got to target another creature for it to gain the ability, okay? However, you can target the copy of the backup ability on the other creature getting backed up, and that would have you get double abilities. Yeah. Yeah, clear as mud, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Love, well... love this set. <laughs> love it. You're a real connoisseur of sets, aren't you? I, I am. I, I am, and this... You know, you just pour this set into a glass, swish it around, sniff it. Maybe anyway. maybe it's mutated a little bit. Yeah. Okay. All right. So Mutagen Connoisseur uh, for, mm -hmm. for one, a green and a blue is a 05 Vidalkin Mutant. It has Flying and Vigilance because that's what you want all your 05s to have is Flying and Vigilance. Mutagen Connoisseur gets plus one, plus O oh for each transformed permanent you control. So a transformed permanent is a, I'm never going to remember all of these, a transformed double-faced permanent, permanent permanent with its backside faced up. It's not a modal double-faced card or a melded card. Yeah. Got it. Got it. All right. Next we have Omnath, Locus of All. Hey, we finally get there. He's got five colors. 
for for Wooberg, where the black mana is also Phyrexian mana. Which is kind of weird because the Phyrexian mana symbol is slightly larger than the other ones in the line, and it looks kind of intimidating, scary. Oh, it does. A little scary. So yeah, it's different size. Interesting. Um, wonder if that's the way it is on the physical card. Uh, I think it uh, is. We'll find okay. out. So, so it is a legendary creature, Phyrexian Elemental. It's a 4-4 that says, if you would lose unspent mana, that mana becomes black instead. Um, so before I read the next ability, so that's just, you're going to retain unspent mana. So normally the mana pool empties at the end of steps and phases. So this is saying, basically, at the end of steps and phases, if you were going to lose that mana it's gonna become black instead um if omnath leaves the battlefield that mana is going to stick around in your pool until the next step or phase so you got to use that mana soon or it's gone forever okay um if um any of that mana had restrictions or riders associated to its use that restriction is still gonna apply even after it's been converted to black all right um so this last ability, it's it's a lot of words, so which seems to be a trend for cards in this set. At the beginning of your pre-combat main phase, look at the top card of your library. You may reveal that card if it has three or more colored mana symbols in its mana cost. If you do, add three mana in any combination of its colors and put it into your hand. If you don't reveal it, uh, if you do, add three mana of any combination of its colors and put it into your hand if you don't reveal it put it into your hand all right that last ability is not a mana ability uh even though it could cause you to add mana it uses the stack and uh can be responded to so remember triggered mana abilities have to trigger off of activated mana abilities in order to be considered a triggered mana ability instead of just a plain old vanilla triggered ability cool oh all right these these cards aren't going to get any shorter folks uh we have we have a, quite a few more to get through yeah so buckle in um maybe you know the, get get, the, the get some will continue until morale improves. improves yeah yeah, yeah. maybe maybe yeah. get some sugar uh some m&ms or, or you know whatever your favorite treat is uh we're not sponsored but m&ms if you're listening to us anyway Ozolith, the Shattered Spire, for one and a green, is a legendary artifact. It has, if one or more plus one plus one counters would be put onto an artifact or creature you control, that many plus one plus one plus one counters are put onto it instead. Cool, cool. Nothing to see here. Nothing to worry about. Uh, For one and a green and tap, you have an activated ability. Put a plus one plus one counter on target artifact or creature you control. Activate only as a sorcery. And it has cycling two. Uh, you you know for two and discard the card. You draw a card. So while it's natural that if other artifact or creatures you control would enter the battlefield with n plus one plus one plus one counters on it, this does not apply to Ozolith. If for some reason it would enter the battlefield with plus one plus one counters on it, um, basically it it can't see itself as it's entering the battlefield. Um, if you would remove the have a non-legendary copy of Ozolith in play with Ozolith. If you would remove the have a non-legendary copy of Ozolith in play with Ozolith. What does that say? Yeah. Did I write that? I don't know what I meant. Yes. I, I wrote that one. Um, if you remove the have a non-legendary copy. That doesn't make any sense at all. Uh, skip to the next one. 
If you have multiple replacement effects that modify the number of counters you have entering the battlefield, you choose the order. In addition, uh, the then multiplication is generally addition. Then generally, multiplication is better for you. But you know, we didn't give you strategic advice with how to play your cards. Um, yeah, what what you were trying to say is, if you happen to have a non-legendary copy of Ozolith in play with Ozolith, so if you have two Ozoliths, yeah. The number of plus one plus one counters put on the artifact you control is going to be two plus the original number. Right, and if okay. you have three, the... and if you have three, then you get to add three plus one plus one counters, and right. so on. Uh, there's no multiplication happening there; it's just additive. Yeah, it's it's when you put one counter on a lot of, and I've noticed this with a lot of people, they they will interpret this as doubling the number of counters. It's not doubling, okay? It's just adding an additional one. So if you're only putting one counter on, like sure, a shorthand is doubling it. But you're not really. You're just adding plus one. Sounds good. All right. Next up is Portent Tracker for one and a green. It is a 1-1 Seder Scout. Has the ability tap to untap target land. And tap choose target battle if an opponent protects it. Okay. Uh, uh, choose target battle. If an opponent protects it, remove a defense counter from it. Otherwise, put a defense counter on it. Activate only as a sorcery. Okay. So this is basically saying um, if I'm going to choose, I'm going to, I'm going to target a battle. If I protect it, it gets a counter. And if an opponent protects it, it's going to lose a count. Makes sense. All right. Now the first ability where it says untap target land, this gets people. This is not a mana ability. Do not cast your spell and then tap port and tracker like it's a land of war elf. Okay, and just be like, oh, well, I'll just untap this forest. Uh, I'll just tap and you know, I'll I'll tap the forest for mana, and then use the 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 land, uh, use this ability to tap it to untap the forest. No, you can't do that. You got to do that before you cast the spell. Yeah, what's because it targets. What's funny is, yeah, it literally breaks every rule that would make something a mana ability. It targets. Um, it does the other stuff too. So. <laughs> yep. Yep. So there you there you go. All right. Uh, um, yeah, we'll do this one. A Pyretic Prankster for one and a red is a 2-1 creature devil. Uh, for three and a Phyrexian black mana, transform a Pyretic Prankster, activate only as a sorcery. And then the flip side of this pretty little pretty little person is Glistening Gormonger. Uh, it is a red-black creature Phyrexian devil. That's a 3-2. And when Glistening Goremonger dies, each opponent sacrifices an artifact or creature. So the ability on Glistening Goremonger will force a player that only has an artifact to sack an artifact. That player can't sit there and say, oh, well, um, I'm going to choose creature. um, So it's going to fail to find and I don't have to sacrifice anything. No, that's not how it works. You have to choose one of the two. Um, and if you only have the one, then you have to choose the one. You have to get rid of it. Too bad. Sorry. Okay. Yep. Next up is Quintorius Loremaster. Is a three red and a white for a three five legendary creature elephant cleric with vigilance. At the beginning of your end step, exile target non-creature non-land card from your graveyard. Create a three two red and white spirit creature token. And then for one red and a white tap, sacrifice a spirit. Choose target card exiled with Quintorius. You may cast that card this turn without paying its mana cost. If that spell would be put into a graveyard, put it on the bottom of its owner's library instead. 
All right, so for that triggered ability, it has a target. You are targeting a non-creature, non-land card in the graveyard. If that card is no longer in the graveyard when we go to resolve that ability, you don't get to create the token. The ability is the, the, the trigger fizzles, okay? The two abilities of Quintorius are linked. Quintorius really sounds like one of those, uh, like, Key and Peel East-West Bowl, uh, uh, skits don't they doesn't it <laughs> a little bit yeah 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 <laughs> all right um the two abilities of quintorius are linked that last the last ability is only able to target cards that were exiled so the activated ability can only target cards exiled by the triggered ability with the last ability if the sacrifice spirit ends up being exiled due to another effect it can't be targeted by Quintorius. Okay, so um, let's see. If oh, that's the that's the card exiled with uh, uh, with Quintorius. If it if it's gotten rid of um, uh, ends up being exiled due to another effect. What is that? Wait, it's weird, isn't it? Is this if the spirit you sacrifice to activate the last ability ends up being exiled because of a replacement effect? Yep. The card can't be targeted with the last ability. Right. So so if Rest in Peace redirects the spirit that's being sacrificed, the spirit can't be targeted because it's not there. Oh. Get it? Oh, because it's not, it's not it's in the not graveyard. Sacrificing... Because the sacrifice places it in the graveyard before the effect actually happens. Right, right, right. But here's the thing. So most what the assumption here is that you are sacrificing one of the three, two red and white spirit creature tokens that you created. Which if you sac if you sacrifice it and it gets redirected what whatever it's just it's just gone right right but this is if the spirit that you sacrifice is an actual card yeah all right then if I go to sacrifice it and it gets it gets exiled because if it gets the, detoured the on the way back yeah yeah and the the reason the reason for this is because you have to choose the the card exiled when the ability goes on the stack you haven't actually sacrificed the spirit yet okay so you've got to target the card before you actually sacrifice the spirit so if you somehow sacrifice the spirit and redirect it to exile it doesn't really matter okay also on the next time you activate the ability you can't get that spirit because it's not um uh, it's not it's not a card exiled with the linked ability, right? Because even though it says choose target card exiled with Quintorius, so you're saying like, oh well, I sacrificed a spirit, and because I have a rest in peace, I redirected it. So technically, I sacrificed it with Quintorius. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I'm I'm tracking now. I'm picking up what you're putting down. Got it, got it, got it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Blah blah blah. Timing rules. We already covered that stuff. Yep. X is zero. Rip, rip. Yep. Okay. Um, Realm Breaker, the Invasion Tree. That sounds really kind of threatening, doesn't it? Um, a little bit. For, for cost of three, it is a legendary artifact. It has two abilities on it. I'm going to resize this just briefly because there's a lot of words there. Um, for two, a trend. For two and a tap, it has the ability target opponent mills three cards, put a land card from their graveyard onto the battlefield tapped under your control. It gains if this land would leave the battlefield exiled instead of putting it anywhere else. It also has for 10 and a tap and sacrificing Realm Breaker, the invasion tree. You can search your library for any number of Praetor cards, put them onto the battlefield, 
then shuffle. So um, the land selected with the first ability could have just been milled or it could be any other land already in the graveyard. It does not have to be um, one of the cards that's milled by, by, uh, by Realmbreaker. And then if you happen to leave a multiplayer game and you have control of one or more lands from other players, those lands are simply placed into exile for the remainder of the game unless they have some way to interact with exile. All right. Next up is Sandstalker Moloch for one green green is a 4-2 lizard with flash. And whenever Sandstalker Moloch enters the battlefield, if an opponent casts a blue and or black spell this turn, look at the top four cards of your library. You may reveal permanent cards from among them and put it in your hand and the rest of the cards on the bottom of your library in any order. Yeah. Um, all right. Sold. A little bit slower. Yep. Uh, when Sandstalker Morlock enters the battlefield, if an opponent casts a blue and or black spell this turn, look at the top four cards of your library. You may reveal a permanent card from among them and put it into your hand. Put the rest on the bottom of your library in any order. The enters the battlefield only looks for a spell um, if, if the opponent uh, cast a blue or black spell this turn. It looks back in time. It will see a blue or black spell that was cast and maybe it was countered or because this has got flash. Maybe it's still even on the stack. It's just was it cast? That's it. Yep. That's important. Um so we're going to jump to seal from existence and and no we're not talking about no we're talking about yeah. you know like a like a, a ceiling no not a ceiling um we're going to just put something away good uh for one and two white it's an enchantment it has ward three we love ward wards great um when seal from existence enters the battlefield Exile, target, non-land, permanent, and opponent controls until seal from existence leaves the battlefield. Uh, There are two effects being created as a result of the last ability. The first is exiling the target permanent, and the second um, is is happening when it actually leaves the battlefield. If a spell or an effect causes seal to leave the battlefield before the ability resolves, nothing happens. The targeted permanent stays right where it should be. Uh, or is attached to an exile permanent will go to the graveyard. The equipment attached to exile permanent will become unattached and counters on the exile permanent will cease to exist. All important reminders. I, I, I feel like I'm I'm seeing, you know, double. Have I seen this card before? Um, yeah, when you were writing the notes. Oh, that's right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Okay. C double for two blue blue is an instant. This spell can't be copied. Period. That's all it says. You know what's really funny? The second I read that, I went and I looked on Scryfall because I was really curious. That's the first time those words Uh have been used on a card. Yeah. Isn't that weird? And it's, I mean, it's, what they've probably realized is, is this is pretty abusable if it can be copied. Oh, it's more fun that way, though. There's other things (laughs) that do that. But this right here is, um, uh, it says choose one. If an opponent has eight or more cards in their graveyard, you may choose both. You can copy target spell. You may choose new targets for the copy and create a token that's copy of target creature. This is an instant. Okay. So um, if you are playing any multiplayer game, only one opponent needs to have eight or more cards in their graveyard for you to be able to choose both. Um, if someone does have eight or more and you want to, to only choose one mode for whatever reason, you can. I mean, if you're casting this, you might not have a target spell to copy, right? 
Um, once the spell is on the stack and you've chosen the modes, modifying the number of cards in an opponent's graveyard has no effect. This is just a, if you cast it um, and they had eight or more cards, you got to choose both. All right. So copying a spell on the stack has a lot of baggage with it. So we're going to run, run through these really quick. Remember the copy is not cast. Um, so abilities that trigger on cast won't, won't trigger. If you copy a spell... Uh, you control the copy. The copied spell is going to resolve before the original. The copy has the same target unless you choose new targets. You probably might want to change new targets. Uh, new modes can't be chosen for the spell if the copied spell is a modal spell. Uh, if it's X in it, if you're copying a spell with X, your copy has the same value as X. Damage division can't be changed, and you don't get to change the values for alternate or additional costs from the original. Yay! That was actually pretty abbreviated from what was in the in the I mean, release. It's huge. Notes. It's, 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 it's the, car, the card itself. Whenever you talk about copying stuff, it's always it's, like one of the largest release notes um, sections. Release notes right, in there. Right. Yeah, yeah, and it gets it. It does get a little tiresome repeating all that stuff every episode. Um, but yeah, that's uh, there. There you go. Sure. So um, we're only halfway done. Uh, no, just kidding. Um, <laughs> we are. We, I hate you. <laughs> we're getting close. We are getting close. I promise. But we do have. You know, it's funny. It's funny. <laughs> Jess, the current rules manager, hated doing release notes episodes. It was his least favorite episodes to do. He hated doing it because they were so long. And now he is responsible for creating these episodes being so long. Wow. All right. Karma. Karma is a thing, isn't it? It's not a karma for him, though. <laughs> so anyway, um, let's get to it. We uh, we have yeah. Shield Red here uh, for three and two black. It is a four or five legendary creature for Rexian Praetor. So already we, we're, we're ramped up and this is going to do something awesome, right? Uh, it has Menace. When Shield Red enters the battlefield, each opponent sacrifices a non-token creature or planeswalker. For four and a black, it has the activated ability Exile Shieldred, then return it to the battlefield transformed under its owner's control. Activate only as a sorcery, and only if the opponent has eight or more cards in their graveyard. So what it brings in is the Enchantment Saga True Scriptures. Uh, the first chapter on that is for each opponent target, destroy up to one target creature or planeswalker that player controls. So first we had them sacrifice, now we're just destroying stuff. Uh, for the second chapter, we have each opponent discards three cards, then mills three cards. <laughs> Oof. Um, and then the third chapter is put all creature cards from all graveyards onto the battlefield under your control. <laughs> Exile the true scriptures, then return it to the battlefield front face up. <laughs> wow. Just that's just that's just insulting. The, it's just that's insulting in the shorts. Uh so um, a couple of reminders here. I'm not going to get into the whole what means eight and who has it thing, but um, when resolving the enter the battlefield uh, trigger on Shieldred in a multiplayer game, there's a specific order to resolve the ability. It starts with the next opponent in turn order, or if Shieldred came in on an opponent's turn because somehow you granted it flash, it starts with them. Um, all opponents select uh, All opponents select which creature to sack, then all sacrifices will happen at the same time. Uh, to resolve the second ability of the true scriptures, which reminder is uh, each opponent discards three cards, then mills three cards. 
the same process basically happens as is with the enter the battlefield trigger. Uh, it starts with the next opponent in turn order. Once all opponents have chosen three cards or all cards, if they have fewer than three cards, uh, then they are all sent to the graveyard at the same time. Then each opponent just mills three cards. There's no note about order for that part of the ability. It really doesn't matter at that point. It can all happen simultaneously um, because there's there's no selection being done. It's just you're milling three cards to your graveyard. Boom, done, next. All right, next is sort of once in future. King. King. Thank you. Yep. Thank you. Yep. Oh, I feel better now. <laughs> yep. Um, for three mana, it is the last in the cycle of swords, the swords of X and Y. So we have the equipped creature gets plus two, plus two, and has protection from blue and from black. Whenever equipped creature deals combat damage to a player, surveil two. Then you may cast an instant or sorcery spell with mana value two or less from your graveyard without paying its mana cost. If the spell would be put into the graveyard, exile it instead. Eh, it's, it's not good. Um, you choose if you want to cast the instant or sorcery in the course of resolving the ability. Okay. Um, the normal timing restrictions do not apply. So you can cast uh, uh, the sorcery spells right now. But you cannot wait until later in the turn to cast it. Uh, the spell you choose to cast... Uh, can be one of the ones placed there using surveil okay but it doesn't have to be and then uh you can pay additional costs for the spell but you can't choose to pay alternative costs x is gonna be zero if it's got x lost yeah wink yeah yeah that seems to be a theme yeah um next card is tandem takedown for one and two green it's an instant um it has uh, the following text, up to two target creatures you control each get plus one plus zero until end of turn. They each deal damage equal to their power to another target creature, planeswalker, or battle. Um, this is a neat card because of how the spell handles targeting. Uh, in this case, there are two separate instances of targeting that are behaving differently. So when it goes to resolve for the first instance, if up to both of the original targets are not legal, the spell will not deal damage. Okay, so up to two target creatures. So um, in this case, if you pick two creatures and one of them um, is uh, destroyed or, or killed or, or is no longer on the board, then it still works because the other creature is still there, the other target creature is still there. But if both of them are not there, the spell um, just doesn't do anything. Um, in the second instance, uh, if there's no legal target for the second part of the spell, then no damage will be dealt. So it's got um, some complex targeting stuff happening, and that's that card. Okay. Um, next up is Thalia and the Gitrog Monster. It is a 1-1 one, one white, black, green for a 4-4 four, four legendary creature human frog horror with first strike and death touch. Pretty baller there. You may play an additional land on each of your turns. Okay. Creatures and non-basic lands your opponents control enter the battlefield tapped. Okay. <laughs> and whenever Thalia and the Gitrog monster attacks, sacrifice a creature or land, then draw a card. I, okay. I see many commander players <laughs> right now just foaming at the mouth over this one. I already fo they foamed like a month ago. All right. So the ability that allows you to play a land is um it's not it's it's not exactly uh it's cumulative with other effects sort of but it's not persistent if it goes away 
So what happens is, is the effects that say you can play an additional land this turn basically says, okay, well, the number of lands you can play goes from one to two. So if I somehow have another copy of Thalia Gitrog Monster, then I can play three. It is cumulative in that sense. But if I have played two lands this turn, so I have my, my Thalia and the Gitrog Monster, and then I have another Thalia and, a Git and the Gitrog Monster that's somehow that's not legendary, and I've played two land this turn, and someone kills one of my Thalia and Gitrog Monsters, I now can only play, because of the effects, I can only have played two land this turn. I've played two land this turn. I can't play an additional one and say, like, no, 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 no. This Thalia and the Gitrog monster let me play an additional one, and I haven't played that one yet. So I get to do a third one. You don't get to do that. You used to, like, eight years ago, and it was just a big pain in the, pain in the butt. So none of that. Um, the last ability also, so whenever Thalia and the Gitrog monster attack, sacrifice a creature or land, then draw a card, that's not a May ability. you got to sacrifice a creature or a land. And if Thalia and the Gitrog monster is the only creature you got, well, you're probably going to sack a land. Yeah. Because first strike death touch is boss. Yeah. It's a good card. It's a good card. Speaking of good cards, Urbrask, two and two red, is a 4-4 legendary creature for Exian Praetor. It has first strike. It has whenever you cast an instant or sorcery spell, Urbrask deals one damage to target opponent, add one red mana, and then it has the activated ability for one red mana, exile Urbrask, then return it to the battlefield transformed under its owner's control. Activate only as a sorcery, and only if you've cast three or more instant and or sorcery spells this turn. Okay, that's a lot going on there. Um, it's important to note with that side, with the, with the front face, that the second ability of Urbrask is not a mana ability. I know we've said it a couple times tonight, but but when those when these things come up, uh, people always ask, and, and this one's not a mana ability. Um, the last ability on the front face uh, counts all spells cast, whether or not they resolve. Okay, uh, It does say... Uh, Let's see, and only if you've cast three or more instant or sorcery spells, right? Um, mm -hmm. So it's just looking to see whether or not you try to. They don't have to have resolved. They, they could have left the stack any number of ways, including being countered. Now, on the backside, it has the Great Work, which is an enchantment saga with three chapters. First chapter is the Great Work deals three damage to target opponent and each creature they control effectively close to a, just a board wipe one-sided that's just it's just mean all of these sagas are mean um the second chapter is create three treasure tokens so hey free mana let's do stuff uh and then the third ability is until end of turn you may cast instant and sorcery spells from any graveyard if a spell cast that way would be put into a graveyard exile instead and then you get to exile the great work and return it to the battlefield as Urbrask. wow um one you resolved chapter three of the great work uh timing restrictions to apply so you can't just cast sorceries at instant speed does not happen please don't do that you'll have a judge called on you it'll be a bad day yeah the, the way to tell the difference is if if it says if it gives you a duration that says like until end of turn you may do this thing then you have to follow the timing restrictions but if it's just, you may cast it, you have to do it right now. And it lets you ignore the timing restrictions. Yep. 
That's a great way of looking at it. Um, and then in a multiplayer game where players can cast the same card from a graveyard, the player with priority has the first option to cast it. Obviously, you can't have multiple people casting the same spell from a graveyard. Um, if you as a player had your copy of the Great Work resolved during your turn, you have a priority. You have the first opportunity to cast whatever spell you want to cast. So, you know, bully for you. Um, you get to do all of the things. Isn't that wonderful? Yeah. Yeah, so if if this goes off, I have the ability, if you've got a card in your graveyard with flashback, right? Yep. And I go, no, I want to cast it, and I've got priority, then I cast it. Yep, that's exactly how that works. Hey, uh, hey, Brian? Yeah? We're, we're at the end here. You want to do the last one? Uh, yes. Okay, we have Zergo and Ojitai, that is uh, two, bl- two and Murica, uh for a 4-4 legendary creature orc dragon. It's got flying in haste. Zergo and Ojitai have has that's so weird. Zergo and Ojitai has hexproof as long as it enters the entered the battlefield this turn. Okay, whenever one or more dragons you control deal combat damage to a player or battle, look at the top three cards of your library, put one of them into your hand, and the rest on the bottom of your library in any order. You may return one of those dragons to its owner's hand. All right. So the triggered ability will only trigger once for each battle or player dealt combat damage by a dragon you control. So if you have three dragons attacking, a single player, they're all going to connect. You're going to get only one trigger. In a multiplayer game, if you have three dragons going at all three different opponents and they all connect, you're going to get three triggers. Um, All right, so for first strike and double strike uh, folks... Uh, if you have two dragons attack the same player or battle and one has first strike, you're going to get the trigger from the first strike and then you're going to get the trigger for the regular strike. Okay. If you have a singular dragon with double strike it's and it hits a battle or a player twice, you're going to get the trigger two times. All right. Uh, if multiple dragons connect with a player or a battle, you choose which of the dragons that dealt combat damage is returned to your hand. Now it says May. So you could choose not to none of them. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You choose none. Yeah. None's a fine choice. Yeah. Yep. Wow, we made it. It and yeah. this episode wasn't quite as long as the Unfinity episode. Really? I think I think we're a little shorter, which is nice. Okay. So I I was really curious because when I got to the end of the release notes or what I thought was the end of the release notes, um, the page just kept going. There were legends, there was jumpstart cards, there's commander cards, there's planes cards. And and as I went through it all, I sat there and I'm just thinking to myself, this has got to be the longest release notes I have ever seen in my life. It, it's got to be. by and, and Infinity was long. Don't get me wrong. That was like, that was, that was really long. So I, I asked on Twitter, I said, um, you know, I, I poked Jess and I po- poked uh, Matt Tabak. Um, to ask whether or not this was the longest release notes ever. And and for Jess, he said it was definitely the longest he's done. Um, uh, he thinks, it, well, he thinks it's longer than Infinity, and I'm, I'm going to agree that it's definitely longer than Infinity. But I don't know if it's the longest that's, that they've ever done, but I, th- I think it's got to be. It's huge. The, the release notes are just, they just go on and on and on. It's amazing. Yeah, yeah. I hate this set so much. <laughs> Oh, well, I wish it didn't exist. Uh, um, so, okay. If, if I have a quibble, um, mm-hmm. it's, it's this, 
they have put product that's only available in pre-release packs. And I don't mean card treatments. There are three cards you can't get anywhere else but in pre-release. And you're not allowed to play them in your pre-release pool. Yeah. And two of them, two of them are goblins. I, I just, I don't understand the the goblin racism that's happening here. The the selective, um, yeah, I'm just sad. So I'm going to... I'm going to be on the lookout for those goblins if anybody knows where to find them. No, just serious. Uh, I'll get them. It, don't worry about it. I, I I hate everything about this set. I hate the card complexity, the number of words on cards. I hate the number of legendary creatures. I hate the number of treatments for things. I hate the fact that the story was just kind of like, eh, you know, oh, we blinked out the plane and then everything just stopped. Everything just powered down like they were Star Wars battle droids. Like, eh, eh, eh. it felt like a lot of buildup for an overly simplified solution. I don't know. Um, yeah. I, I really do hope that then the next story is not only a little bit longer, but a little bit more costly. Um, I, I think that having planeswalkers just reset was kind of. Okay. So, so first off, I've heard that they re- that they reset, but all of them didn't. It was only like a few of them, right? Yeah, I know it wasn't all of them. I don't I don't know what the percentage is, but it like I don't I don't know which ones reset, but I'm assuming that Nissa reset, right? Yeah, there's there's a, a leaked item okay. out there that that says or, or kind of implies that one or two were not, or, or a few of them were not. Sure, they. But but I haven't I haven't looked at it in detail. It's just like flashed across okay. my screen because I try and avoid spoilers. All right. Uh, as much as possible, or, or leaks as much as possible. So, so we're we're still so, waiting, I guess, to hear all of the okay. all the ramifications. At least I am. But I I just I, I mean they just they've recently just exploded the number of planeswalkers so much that I just don't care. Like that that they died, you know, or that they were Phyrexianized or they powered down or whatever. Because there's just so many of them, you know. It's like Doritos at this point, you know, like crunch all you want. We'll make more like whatever, wow. you know, <laughs> what? No, I just said, wow. <laughs> I mean, imagine, imagine like Garrick, right? How long has it been since we've seen that guy in any meaningful capacity whatsoever? Like he might as well be dead as well. Cause just, I don't know. Haven't seen him in, in forever in a day. There's, Throne of Eldraine? Like, Throne of Eldraine was the last that he was in maybe. I mean, he was. I don't know. Sure, briefly. I mean, he was after he was after the gingerbread man or something. I mean, there's a whole video right. about we it. I don't even know what he was after. He was just he was just, he was just raging around chasing a sentient cookie. Raging, you know. Cool. Yep. Whatever. Yep. I don't know. <laughs> I'm just, okay. Old man. Old man yells at clouds. I get you, it. You got it. Okay. Um, I'm just it, tired of this. Look, you know, if you look at the bottom of the card on on the last card there, if you if if we increase the size on it for just a moment. And you look at the bottom of it, and you see that M, and then you see a four-digit number. Oh, the zero? Yeah. Yeah. This is the first time we've needed four digits. Every other set before this was three digits. It's a lot of material. It's a lot of material. And it's, it's I mean, you know, a lot of it's just different treatments and stuff, but it's still, I, I get the overwhelming part of it. As a person who likes to collect stuff, I, I, am, I am overwhelmed. But I'm excited yeah. by some of the stuff. I really am. I think battles are going to be neat. And I'm excited to see how they play out in 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 limited format site. Many 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 years ago, I had a, a guy at work. We were trying to. I was trying to do something on the computer, and I was trying to explain to him how to do something on the computer. And he was an older guy, 
And I was just like, all right, you just do this, 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 this. And he's like, no, we don't need to. I was like, yeah, we can make this work. We can, we can solve this problem. Just do this, 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 this. And he goes, hold on now. This is getting complicated and I'm losing interest. <laughs> and I kind of paused for a second and I was just like, what do you mean you're losing interest? Come on, this is, we got to get this thing done. You know, but now that I'm older, I get it. Oh, yeah. And I look at this set. I look at this set and I'm like, eh, this is getting complicated and I'm losing interest. Wow. You're, you're stuck sticking so. around for at least a little while longer because you haven't taught me how to edit the show. And so, you know, you're, yeah, you're, you're, you're not going anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> I've got you. I've got you trapped. Right. Um, so speaking of which, you're reminding me how much work I got to do editing this thing. So let's uh, let's, let's wrap it up. Sounds like a good let's idea. Wrap it OK, up. so uh, that's our episode. Uh, join us next time when we talk about something. I don't know. Probably maybe planes. Who knows? Maybe we'll have a we'll have an IPG to talk about. Look, Maybe. Maybe. That would be nice. Uh, until then, you can send us an email at judgecast at gmail.com or like us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter at judgecast. Until then, I'm Charles Feather and I keep it fair. I'm Brian Perlman and I keep it enthusiastic. <laughs>